Hey, internets, it's Kim Sonian, Space Ghost producer, and on this episode of Fan Bros, we talk to Erica Alexander and Tony Perrier of Concrete Park. But wait, why am I doing the intro? Where is everyone? What, where, what's going on? Well, you guys have come aboard Captain Kirkisha's space yacht as the main ship is in the dock for repairs. So grab a mimosa from one of my robot maids and let's start the show. All right. Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. Doodle. Welcome, Internets, to another episode of Fan Bros. That's right. It's Space Ghost producer Kim Sonian filling in for Ben Hameen. And uh, we have also in the house Chico Leo, Afro Cheeks. Looking a little lighter today. Yes. Seems like the Afro Cheeks are now gone. Right. It's more, more fade cheeks this week. <laughs> it's fade, fade cheeks. Oh, God. Wookie got a haircut. Yeah. And also in the spaceship tonight, special guest host. Captain Kirkisha, a.k.a. Uzi Carmichael. In the flesh herself, on the microphone. Yes. You may know her from some special deliveries with Ty the Robot from previous episodes. Anyway... Both the captain of the spaceship and the uh, second-in-command are out, so I'm just going to be the intro guy, and we're just going to fill in as best as we can tonight. We do have a really exciting episode, a great interview. Yes. Um, but first off, let's start with some news, as we normally do. Uh, lots going on in the geek world, comic book world. There always world. is. There's always something popping off. But in particular, Fan Bros, we like to talk about diversity representation and all the things that we normally deal with when it comes to fandom. And in particular, this story I felt was really uh, touching, if I may say so. Uh, Michael B. Jordan has responded to all his critics about him playing the Human Torch. What do you guys think? You want to you want to I, I, I thought it was great. I mean, I, I went to see Age of Ultron uh, this past week and one of the previews was for uh, the new Fantastic Four. And um, I, I thought the setup was great. I, I like the fact that it's the sister that's adopted. That's not a spoiler. You can just watch it in the previews. Uh, and I think that his response, his letter was really great. I think fans need to just get over themselves. Yeah, in the letter, he actually was talking about uh, how he sees everybody's perspective, and uh, he talked about being the one to really take the weight to, or really take all the hate. He's been targeted for being a black man playing a traditionally right, r- white role, and um, I don't know. He, you know, he wrote this passionate letter, and and it seems that it's pretty, pretty sincere, pretty touching, and you know, of course, he's always going to get that paycheck but i think he he realizes that there's a lot more going on than just and and there definitely is a lot more going on i just feel like it's we're halfway through 2015 we're closer to 2030 than we are in a month we'll be closer to 2030 than we are to 2000 and i just feel like um yeah i thought his letter was great but there's a certain at what point are we just gonna like keep moving forward and not even address some of these things 
that you know like it was the same a similar thing with mad max where all these like retrograde men's groups you know were coming out and complaining that it was being feminized and this that and the other thing because um Imperi Im imperador furiosa's role was bigger than max's despite the fact that max sort of wanders into other people's stories and all the other movies and then keeps it keeps it going so yes i thought his response was classy and great I, I don't think that he owed those people anything, though, and I don't think we owe those people anything that are complaining about that. I, I just, you know, I mean, that that that's about it. But I thought he, you know, yeah, he, he's he's a classier guy than me. I think I, – I, do you think behind the scenes he had to really get that, that okay from, you know, I don't know. Actually, who is it who owns Fantastic Four? Is it Fox? Fox, yeah. So he, he definitely had to clear this with somebody, I, I think. Um, even though, you know, it's, it's, it's very sincere and it seems very personal. I do feel like, remember when Jason Momoa was talking about Aquaman stuff and DC or he like dissed in some picture, he like dissed Marvel. Yeah, he dissed Marvel. Yeah. And then I think DC had something to say about that or yeah. something, something, you know, you got to protect your property. Right. But, right. So is he really the Jackie Robinson of, of, uh, movie superheroes right uh, now? No. That's I think that's a little Jackie Robinson. That's mm, strong, yeah. That's really that's really strong. Uh, a little too early for that. Maybe the Jesse Jackson. The Jesse Jackson. <laughs> well, I, I'm just trying to think about breaking. You know, I think if Laverne Cox played Modesty Blaze, then or yeah, something like that, there would be. You could, could maybe go. say that would be the Jackie Robinson. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, I feel like you know, again, that we it is you know 2015, and we are you know. You know, uh, we're, we're approaching the, the second decade of the 21st century. And uh, um, so it's so kind of sad that he even had to write. the. Letter it is, I right. think so. I mean, I you know, nothing against is I think, again, it was classy and well written. And, uh, you know, I just feel like, you know, why why do you need to why do you need to address the lower common denominator people? Right. And and I feel like with comics, we have reboots. People die all the time. What's the harm of making one character black? I mean, we've we've how many times has Superman died? How many times has Batman died? And then, oh, uh, like Doctor Who, how many times has the Doctor come back to be the same pasty white man? I mean, right. come on, a little a little spice isn't gonna hurt anybody. I no, listen, I agree. I think um, I think it's great. You know, it's long overdue. And you're right. He shouldn't have had to write the letter. I think it's pretty sincere and touching. Most actors, when they're in franchise movies, they don't write letters. They don't you know, it's, it's yeah. they're really protect especially this is an ensemble. You know, and it's like he's getting the most attention out of out of everybody. Personally, I don't think it's gonna be a good movie. This is a whole other debate, but right. I don't think Fantastic Four is really gonna be that good. Um I you know, for me it's all about the thing. If the thing works, then It'll work, but if the thing don't work, and so far the thing is, yeah. It's I mean, kinda... it's a skinny British guy playing the thing, so I don't. I feel like people have more right to be up in arms about that than you know. So ben secretly, Grimm's a big dude from Brooklyn. Like, like real talk, you know. that's my problem. Right, like how they cast Ben Grimm is probably the worst casting ever. In a comic to, book movie, in the comic book, compared to the like, I'm, I'm, because in a way, the Johnny Storm is sort of transferable. You know, he's like a fit young white guy. Get a fit young black guy, you right. know, good looking kind of thing. The Ben Grimm part, I'm I'm actually like that that's kind that's the really over I was like, what? Who? And he's shorter than than I don't know. It, it just didn't work. It didn't work for me. But we'll see. I, I'm really down on uh some of the comic book stuff that's not put out by Marvel. 
And uh, as you guys know, fan bros, we we uh, we kind of are not fans of the, or at least yeah, not fans of the Fox or the the Sony's. When yeah, it comes no, to absolutely. So uh, next up, we have this other item, which is, uh, okay, so all you guys out there, how many of you guys know who Johnny Quest is? Boom. I do. Okay. I do. <laughs> so for those who are catching reruns on Boomerang and maybe who are who, who's caught the 80s uh, Johnny Quest uh, reboot, or I don't know what that was, reimagineering, uh, apparently Robert Rodriguez of Spy Kids fame, also Sin City fame, is, oh yeah, lots of fame. I it, mean, you right. know yeah. the uh, El Mariachi, uh, Desperado, Planet ter- Planet Terror, Planet Terror, which is the better half of the Quentin team up with Robert Rodriguez. He's about to direct the Johnny Quest live action film. So, um, what do y'all think? Okay, so Johnny Quest. Here, here we have like an interesting quandary, right? We have. A reboot or kind of a reimagining. We're putting it in the hands of a, definitely an auteur, right? Kind of like the Planet of the Apes, the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes, which is probably the most horrible thing ever made. Yes. <laughs> um. So where do we think this is gonna go? It's got to be better than Speed Racer. Oh. But that's such a low bar. Yeah. No. Uh, well, but it was another <laughs> '60s cartoon that they. Oh uh, uh, yeah, that's true. Made a live action. Uh, yeah. I I I like Johnny Quest. Um, I think, and I like Robert Rodriguez. Uh, he's he's one of these directors like Oliver Stone or Spike Lee that not everything totally works all the time, but you, he usually gets an A for effort. Like he 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 like when he tries stuff and it doesn't work, it's usually still interesting. So you definitely have confidence that Johnny Quest will have something entertaining in it enough to warrant a movie ticket. Yes. That's a lot. I don't know. So between Johnny Quest and Fantastic Four starring Michael B. Jordan as the Black Human Torch, we are going to see. That's actually a really interesting question. Which which would I rather see? Um, honestly, I'd probably rather see Johnny Quest. And... Uh, Oh, I, I mean, I guess my ideal thing would be Johnny Quest with Michael B. Jordan starring as Johnny Quest. Which I was going to say, right? That would be that better. Would, Juan Cuesto would be a, a better, right, Robert Rodriguez? Absolutely. You, I definitely think Machete is going to be in the new Johnny <laughs> Quest. Oh, my gosh. If Danny Trejo is one of the father or one of the yes. dad, that would be so hilarious. How could that not? That has think, to happen. It has to happen. I, I think my biggest reservation is just the fact that it's going to be live action because a lot of cartoon to live action it's one thing to go from comics to live action but a lot of cartoon to live action i mean we've got dragon ball z that uh mythic that alleged avatar movie which i still deny the existence of Uh, you know there's not a really great track record of this going well so i'm just more concerned about the live action so yeah and also johnny quest in particular has everything that the 60s kind of super spy culture um you know uh, adventure series is associated with and maybe he'll keep that like if it's set in the 60s or something i don't know we'll have to see if it's updated he's gonna have a tough time competing with all these newer kind of spy titles well there's also an interesting thing sometimes they wait too long um 
I feel like, you know, they waited too long with Wonder Woman that Xena has stolen a lot of Wonder Woman's Amazonian thunder. And they waited too long, I feel like, with um, Judge Dredd, that RoboCop stole a certain amount of Judge Dredd's thunder. And now they've waited so long, and you have things like the Venture Brothers, which is riffing on Johnny Quest. And so, you, you know, there is a certain point. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Um, I just think Roger Robert Rodriguez, I mean, it could be terrible, but it's it could be interesting too. I mean, and I think your Planet of the Apes analogy is good because that's really when Tim Burton started going really awry. Was like around then, maybe a few movies before that. But um, we definitely need to do a Tim Burton Fambros uh, Film Festival um, post all his good films, right? Like everything after Ed Wood, basically. Exactly, and they they did manage to sort of ignore that, and I I think actually the two Planet of the Apes movies have been. Uh, that they have made have been, you know, good to great. Right. Um, and I just saw the most recent one over the weekend. Well, there it is, fan bros. Uh, we got our little uh, news off our chest. Uh, coming right up, we have a really, really great interview, and uh, we'll be right back after this break. Hey, I'm Cheska Lee. I'm Patrick. And when we are not picking up our dog's poop... We are listening to the fan bros. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was, uh, you want to try that one again? <laughs> and welcome back, fan bros. I hope that break wasn't too long. <laughs> Today, tonight, right now, we have the most incredible people on the show. I want to introduce to the world, even though you guys are super famous already all over. I want to introduce the creators of Concrete Park, the epic Dark Horse comic book, Mrs. or Miss Erica Alexander and Tony <laughs> Perrier. <laughs> Welcome to that'll the spaceship. Do, that'll do. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hey, fan brothers. Hey, everybody out there. We're, we're very happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. And thanks for the great you know, uh, intro uh, for Concrete Park. We appreciate that. Thanks for doing such a, a, a great comic and, and creating such a great world. Thank you. It um, takes a lot. And Tony, you know, has, uh, his back has gone out. He'll never walk again. But, um, you know, <laughs> he's got the scars to prove yeah. the hard work of it. You got to sacrifice for your art. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently they like human sacrifices. So, yes. Now, um, you guys were recently on your Earth tour promoting Volume 2, which is Respect or Do You Have to Spell It Out? And uh, you stopped by Harvard. How was that experience? Well, you can spell it out, first of all. This is Tony, by the way. Uh, you can, um, we spell it R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Like you know, Aretha, uh, like Aretha, yep. very very well done. All of the all of the titles of our volumes will be uh, Aretha Franklin songs, and so of course the first one was "You Send Me," which even though it was written by Sam Cooke, Aretha does what we consider to be a great version of that tune. But it's also because it's a story of exile. "You Send Me" seemed like a, a good title to use. Now this this story, which is all about the the growing conflict in Scare City, our fictional city. It's all about R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Uh, and so that's the title of this book. And so, yes, that's, that's, how, it's, that's how we say it, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And, yes, we did go to Harvard looking for a little respect ourselves. But it was, it was wonderful to be 
invited to come and speak there. We were invited to speak about uh, the comic and animation series Blockheads by the Davis uh, twins, or the Mad Twins, as they call themselves, Mark Davis and Mike Mark Davis. And Mike. Who've yeah. done this, Mark and Mike Davis, who have done this groundbreaking animation and comic series, Blockheads. Uh, Harvard was uh, hosting a symposium about their work. We were honored to be able to join in and contribute. It was pretty cool. Nice. And so... Now, I guess this is diving right into the deep stuff. On the news, on Twitter, on all forms of social media, we're seeing a rise in public coverage of police brutality around the country. Is that or has that influenced any storylines in Concrete Park? Or have you already set the storylines in stone for what's going to happen? Well, that's a good question. The answer is yes, it will continue to influence what we're doing with this book. Um, part of our, uh, I don't know, our outlook or our mission would be to shine a light on uh, continuing injustice, inequality, both in this country and in uh, the wider world. Uh, there's a class system and a racial caste system at work not only in America, but but all around the world. Uh, poverty is with us everywhere we go, uh, and the injustice of the powerful against the powerless, you're exactly right the way you phrase that, I think, Maya, by the way, that we're getting growing public attention to a problem that has gone on as long as there has been this disparity between power, powerful people and powerless people. Uh, so you're, you're right to say this is nothing new, but that a light is now being shined on it. We hope to be part of that light also with the ongoing stories we're going to do in Concrete Park. And and do you have the whole thing mapped out? Like, do you have, you know, they say George R. R. Martin knows, you know, exactly when, you know, um, the fire and ice saga is going to end. Do you have, do you, you, you guys have the whole thing mapped out? Um, well, yes and no. I mean, obviously, We'd like to uh, say that everything's mapped out and we're that cool and we're that um, slick. Right. But the truth is um, we have a lot of it mapped out, and then it, got, it, then it grew bigger. It grew bigger in front of our eyes. While we, I mean, we, we, we made the thing, but it kept growing and growing, and, and um, after a while, things get away from even us. I mean, we're not, and when I say things, I mean the storyline is the same, but the characters start to grow. You start to invent new story characters, and then those characters have different lives, and that influences the, um, the way the uh, plot goes. So, um, no, the, the best thing about um, George Martin, and he's a great, he's a great um, person to bring up, but he, he's the exact opposite of what, what we did. I mean, he, he, was, he, was, he wrote the novels, so those novels, you know, said everything. They told the interior lives of the characters. They told the plot lines. They, um, you know, they had all the politics and all the, you know, the um, mythology all together. And we had um, some of that, but we didn't have it in such in-depth detail. So as we build and, out, we're finding that we're having to write faster and to think faster on our feet. And that is very difficult, and it's like doing a show on television like Lost, where you might have sold them the first show and the pilot, but then the rest of it, once they say, okay, yeah, we'll pick you up, you're going, as you guys know, next thing you know, everything is just running. And that's a little bit of what we're doing. 
Well, the the world really feels very very realized. Uh, you know, uh, it does. It, it definitely. I I was wondering, did you start with the characters, or did you have the idea of the world and uh, that you know that it takes place in, or you know, um, because because it doesn't feel slapdash or anything like you know, it feels very very invested. Well, that's, Thank you. that's very kind of you to say that. You know, uh, I, we appreciate that. You know, the funny thing is, uh, just going back to the earlier question, I happen to believe George R. R. Martin is lying, by the way. Right. <laughs> he's making up as he goes along, too. He's just really good at it. Um, but in answer to your question, yeah, we had uh, the idea for this world, the idea that it would be um, in many ways a parallel to our own world. You know, so much science fiction is about now, here and now, even though it might, the book might be called 1984, it was really very much about 1948, the year in which it was written. Um, so similarly, our scarcity looks a little bit like uh, cities we might be familiar with here on Earth. These big towns like Mexico City, Nairobi, uh, Kinshasa, those, those big smoking towns. Uh, so we had this world. We had some of the characters. And then some of the characters, as we kept creating them, implied other things. Like, well, if there's going to be this guy, he seems like a pretty powerful guy. He should, like, let's, let's say the potato king. Uh, once Erica came up with that character, he seemed like he deserved his own gang and his own piece of the town. He was just such a big guy and a big character. So sometimes it does spring from the character. And literally, someone writes their name on the map of your imaginary city. So if you look on the map of scarcity, there's literally a big chunk given over to the potato king's gang, for instance. So there's, it interacts that way, character and plot character and literally the map. Um, other times characters just come up as, as the plot needs them or as, you know, so-and-so needs someone to talk to. So and again, you know, character. you yeah. gave us a great compliment to say, does it look slapdashing or, you know, just thrown together. And it certainly is not, it's not. But we also have to say that our discipline from coming from showbiz and coming from um, television and film is that you have to a lot of times think on your feet and develop things that you find that people are um, – you, you, that, you, that we get interested when we're looking – when we're listening we're, or um, reading our own story, we'll get more interested in different characters. But um, this, the whole world that you're seeing, the mythology, it was there. We developed um, from a, a name that my brother – um, suggested, which was Concrete Park, and I loved the name of that. And then we started building outwards with the philosophy first. France Fanon. I like the movie. Um, um, uh, what was that movie, Tony? City of God. Yes. Oh, yes. Inspired by the, the Brazilian film City of God. Sure. Yes, City of God. We started building from there. We, we, we knew that we wanted to deal with uh, people who were oppressed um, because that's just much more interesting, and we thought we could make a really cool world out of that. But we also want the world to be colorful and hopeful and full of life and not the type of world that you might see uh, sort of in a cliched way. So that's actually Tony's drawing and the way he draws and, 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 um, and makes his colors. Um, that has everything to do with make, making sure that we lift the material up um, and don't play down, don't play uh, dirty. Um, I have a question uh, about that art. Now, I read somewhere that the inspiration for a lot of Tony's art uh, was Paul Gauguin. And I know of his famous work, the Tahitian Women on the Beach. Is, 
most people mm-hmm. know. Um, but what part of Paul Gauguin's work do you think the reader can see reflected in Concrete Park? Oh, that's a very interesting question. Thank you for asking. Um, a couple of things. Uh, Paul Gauguin's work was inspired, as a lot of the uh, impressionists of his time were inspired, by Japanese prints. Um, for several hundred years, Western artists had been trying to de- uh, describe three-dimensional pictorial space. Ever since uh, the Renaissance, guys like Raphael, Michelangelo, the goal was to make three-dimensional uh, space represented in painting. By the time of the Impressionists came along, photography had sort of come in in the 1800s and swept painting away in a way. How could painting represent uh, something new and interesting. How could it say something new and interesting in a world where photography stole its thunder? And so the re- impressionist responded after seeing uh, the, the West, the guys in France particularly, they'd seen Japanese prints where the Japanese were not so concerned with representing 3D space uh, in 3D, but rather the the whole space sort of came upward toward the picture plane. Do you know what I'm saying? The mm-hmm. The plane of the painting Gauguin's work is very flat, is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. Yes. <laughs> for its time, it was revolutionary. It was not like the experiments in depth of Delacroix or Ang or any of those guys. Uh, it was flat. Mm-hmm. He used heavy black outlines. Mm. He used a tropical sort of palette. Okay, I see um, that. You can see the marks. He was not trying to paint something that was as pretty as a photograph mm-hmm. in, in the way that photographs are accurate representations. Gauguin was trying to paint something that was true to his experience. Uh, he was a city man who liked to live rough out in the country, and his lines were rough, and the people's hands were big and clumsy. The feet were big and clumsy. Uh, and his heavy black outlines always spoke to me. I love mm-hmm. those Tahitian women, but I love all his colors, and I love, furthermore, Gauguin tried to put some mystery in his work. His greatest work is a painting called uh, Who Are We? Where Do We Come From? Where Are We Going? And uh, over and over, we hope in Concrete Park to ask those questions. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? And uh, he, Gauguin was able to get a certain element of mystery into the simplest paintings he did. I always admired that, and he's been a big influence. And the, the, the Henry Amjus brothers, Love of Rockets, the amazing influence <laughs> yeah. on him. Yeah. So I um I wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit. You had mentioned before that you come from, you know, Erica, you come from TV. Tony, you come from, uh, I was so screenwriting, and then also you studied art. And so what what made you think that this was the best way to convey your story? What made you think that a comic book, world building, as much as effort you're putting into a comic book, that this would have been the medium to really launch... Mm. this idea um the reason i'm asking is because many times people have a million ideas creative people and they're like oh i want to do a children's book or i want to do a movie or you know and then uh so what why this medium and sorry just to add on to kimson's question um i did read that initially you brought it to uh, a studio exec so i'm 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 wondering like how did you go from we want to see this visually to i'm gonna make this a comic book because there were like he was saying, there's so many other ways that could have channeled this project. Here's the, the short answer. You know, uh, we've been doing screenwriting, acting uh, together a long time. Uh, Erica writes. Erica's had lot, a lot of experience pitching stories uh, to both television and film outlets. So have I. 
we came up with this idea and we liked it so much that we, of course, thought, well, this should be a feature film. Uh, we had had some experience trying to pitch this as a television series as well. But when we got in that particular room that you mentioned uh, with that one particular studio executive and in our pitch materials, he just happened to see some faces of color, some black people. As we were telling him this futuristic wild story about Concrete Park, he stopped us and said, let me do you a favor. Wait a minute. Stop. Stop. You're wasting your time. Black people don't like science fiction, and it's because they don't see themselves in the future. We said, say that again. He said, black people don't like science fiction. It's because they don't see themselves in the future. Does that guy have we a Twitter? It. Does he have a Twitter account? Can we, like, really flood <laughs> his timeline? We gave it to well, you. you. He, might actually, he might actually come after us, but he knows it's true. This is not – this is – you wouldn't be surprised to find out who this person was. Let me just tell you that. Uh, really, after the podcast, I'll t- I can tell you who this this person was. But uh, saving that for our book about this whole process. Right, well, yeah, the making of, for sure, for sure. The making of. But uh, we were doubly outraged by that. We were outraged, number one, that this person had the gall to tell us, a couple of black science fiction fans, that we didn't like science fiction, that he knew better than us. We were incredibly patronizing and racist. But number two, double racist, we thought, his assumption that we were trying to sell him a picture that was just for the black market. He makes, he makes the money doing little black pictures starring little black stars, you know. And uh, we, we resented him pigeonholing us in that cultural ghetto that way. We wanted everybody. We wanted an audience of everyone to see our what we thought was a beautiful, exciting, interesting science fiction story. And so – we walked out of that room, and it, it, we could have been dejected or depressed by that, but we also said, you know, there's other ways. When people put roadblocks in your way like this, there's other ways of flowing around them. Uh, one way, you know, movies take hundreds of millions, millions of dollars to make. Uh, I would have liked to have made that uh, Mad Max picture that just came out last week. Right. I thought it was a very interesting picture, very colorful. It's my kind of picture, except, you know, it had a, a lily-white cast. That kind of blew my mind to see uh, a future without people of color, you know, being accepted so easily by the mainstream. I'm like, what happened to everybody else? And especially because they shot that picture in Africa. Hello. You know, but we thought... Only a future without people of color. If you look at Noah, there's also the past without people of color. They started the whole world over with no people of color. That's right. What happened? So... But we said, wait a minute, a movie like that, though I'd like to make, would take raising $150 million. I don't have that. How much you got on it? I don't have $150 million. But the barriers to entry in comics are incredibly low. Mm. They don't take that much money to print. Uh, Publishers from time to time will take risks on them, or there's the option of printing them you damn so. A lot of people we know are are doing it DIY style. They're doing it themselves and making their own comics. Mm. We were very fortunate that in the early stages of drawing this comic, uh, Mike Richardson of Dark Horse Comics saw some of the pages and said he was interested in publishing it. And that was as simple as that. That's how we got our publishing deal, was uh, a, a smart decision maker who owned his own comic company just decided to pull the trigger and say, this is a story that should be told. But And also uh, the best thing about comics is because you're, yeah. you're not filtered by anybody. Most of the times, you, if you're not going through the big, um, say the really big um, um, comic publishers, you are left to your own devices to not be filtered. And, and the story that you see is the story that the, the creator is meant to tell, good, bad, or ugly. We have to stand by it. If people don't like it, we can't blame anybody. We can't say, feel that example. Why did we change that? It didn't, it didn't happen that way. If the people don't like the art, if people don't like the story, we have to stand That's true. behind it's, it. We also um, yeah. 
there's no there's no opposition to us. So if we get into some sort of quagmire, we might it might take us a while to figure that out because we are in our own sort of vacuum, our own loop. There's also a very high um, uh, very high number of comp- competitors. That's the hard part about um, comic books is that you're standing right next to Spider-Man and Batman, and nobody really wants to look at you, you know. They, you know, and that's very um, hard to uh, to uh, overcome. But that's that's why you do comics. I mean, you you're there with right next to them. Whether you you can compete or not is whether you can stand it and whether you'll be able to maintain um, yourself while you struggle through those challenges. Um, I've uh question it's more on the lighter side so i read that your favorite erica your favorite characters um were silas samad jean pierre the potato king and hard guy and then that tony's favorite is luca Uh, have these favorites changed and do you have any least favorites well you realize that i picked all the guys so you know where i'm coming from and Tony picked the girl (laughs) so you know you're seeing that um that's our sexual perversions. I even picked a guy named Hard Guy. So I don't know, man. I, you know, I, I, Tony draws these people really wonderfully. And I'm, this I'm saying as a fan of his, of his work. But I see, when I look at those uh, drawings, I see real men in them. I see real women in them. And it's really nice to fall in love or fall in like with a character that you go, gosh, I can feel their hum- humanity or their humanness coming through the illustrations. And I love Silas. I love difficult men. I've always loved strong men. I love, um, um, I'm not talking about bad guys completely, but I love men that are complex and that are smart or strategic. And that's exactly, hopefully, who they are, who we intended them to be. Um, Tony will speak for um, Luca, but he goes around telling people he is Luca, which shows, he, you know, Bruce, Bruce Jenner isn't the only one who may be transgendered. So there might be another announcement coming out on Fran's Bro- Band Brothers. I don't know, Tony. You heard it here first. Uh, yeah. Fan Bros exclusive. Yeah. Scoop. I'd like to see him in some pumps. That'll be hysterical. Well, Comic-Con is coming up in October, so. Yeah, but he dresses up for Comic-Con, Kertisha. Nobody will know. They'll think it's just for Comic-Con. He's got to do it, you know, when he goes to the Ralph's. Oh. To the grocery store. He's got to go to the grocery store like that. Okay. Uh, so th- this real quick for our listeners, on most comics, the art duties are usually split up between two or three people, between the penciler, the inker, and the colorist are all different people collaborating. And on Concrete Park, Tony handles all of those duties, uh, yeah. which is a little different. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm stupid like that. He's a, he's a control freak. We, we might not have done this story if we weren't control freaks either. You know, both of us wanted to see this world done just the way we wanted it. This is, Erica was, was correct when she said there are no filters. The only editorial uh, control Dark Horse has ever exercised about this book is just to say, go make a great-looking book. Go, go kick ass. Uh, and so we did. So uh, the control freak in me gets to have the art, good, bad, or, or ugly, be exactly what I wanted. So, yeah, I'm penciling it and, and inking it and coloring it. And I love particularly the coloring. Uh, that's partly my background as an artist is I'm a painter. And um, if it's, you know, I, I love the, the way this world looks too. We want to show more and more and more of it. And I like these characters as well. So we're lucky like that. Yeah, and we spend our lives, you know, again, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a really um, nice uh, background to have showbiz. 
but you spend your life taking um, notes from everybody, from Arnold Schwarzenegger to Mel Gibson, from uh, the NBC to Warner Brothers, and everyone has a say on what you're doing and how you're doing it and how it comes out and, 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 and that type of thing. And it really is freeing not to, to have that. But Tony took it upon himself not only to learn the things that he didn't know, but once he did learn it, he committed himself to trying to be consistent with the art because one of the things that we had that we saw that we love art and we love artists, but often the cover art did not match the inside art. And we didn't have the money to go and hire somebody who probably might have much more experience than Tony and maybe be able to do something interesting. Wouldn't have been Tony style, but something interesting and beautiful. We had to do it ourselves because frankly, we didn't have the money to go and get a whole mess of people to do this. meant we would take all the, little monies we had coming in, whether it was residuals or, you know, um, the jobs that we do, and then put everything into making sure that the comic book turned out to, to be a whole story. Whether it was good or bad, is, is, like I said, that's for the audience to decide. We, we did something we thought we liked, but it, everything that you're seeing there was really out of necessity. We did go to Otis, which is a art school very near, and get some interns to help do the um, flatting. But that was it. Tony and I did the rest of everything else, and Tony did all the artwork. And it's, it's a real testimony to commitment and teaching yourself new skills later on in life. So you guys can actually do a, a DIY comic seminar for everybody out there who wants to make their own comic. And have done. We have done exactly. that. Yeah, it's funny. Just did it. We were just, we were just uh, a couple weekends ago. There was a beautiful art exhibit here in Los Angeles called Manifest Justice, which was a, uh, tons and tons of great artists coming together in this massive exhibit about issues of social justice, about inequality, about police violence, about uh, the new Jim Crow. And uh, there in this giant room, uh, we were able to do this, this very nice uh, comics DIY seminar, how to make your own comics. And then we followed up with a, uh, a panel discussion led by Erica with some of the best new uh, artists and writers of color who are doing uh, comic studies. So we, this is sort of in our DNA is going around and trying to teach uh, a little bit about this. We've taught these seminars in crazy places like libraries in Los Angeles or uh, schools and universities in Belize in Central America. Uh, we go around and teach about comics because I guess we got caught the bug. And we're sort of like uh, prosthetizers now, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet we're comic. like, we're, but we're floating in your guys' wake because I mean, there's people like you that have fan brothers. I mean, you got names like Chico Leo and Kimsonian and Captain Carkeisha. I mean, this is a different world we're living in, and that if the fact that you have this amazing following and this blog that you've created that has new voices and new um, points of view, and just the way that you're sort of following your um, you're fancy on what you like and you're pu pulling it out. It's, it's, it's forcing people to ask themselves, what kind of storyteller am I and what story will I tell? And there's a lot of people who are, oh, I think, overwhelmed by that. They don't know where to begin. And that's what we're interested in, too. We're trying to take the skills that we have and talk about storytelling in a new way. 
you were mentioning earlier that you know you got to stand next to uh, Spider-Man on the racks, but I I think one one of the problems is that things like Spider-Man are feel kind of old and and are weighed down by a lot of continuity and and they represent sort of the the 20th century of comics where you know when when you mentioned earlier that um you know 21st century cities are you know Kinshasa, Lagos, Mexico City, Mumbai this is what the future is and things like Spider-Man that are in like New York it, it, it just seems very old and comics frankly could use more people and more creators who aren't totally steeped in what's come before and are just remaking versions of of things that have come before and you guys are clearly not you know doing that and and are doing something and I I, I feel like when I when I read you know articles and things like that it concrete park is definitely being recognized as 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 a new you know a, a new trend towards you know not the same old stale superhero comics oh. That's wonderful yeah thank you thank you thank you you know you, you brought it's funny you brought up spider-man as an example it's such a shame uh they've made like what five spider-man movies and seemed like didn't it seem like all of them the same origin story on and off and yes very much and so. trying to be, we, we talk about that all the time. Trying to be yeah. respectful of all that Marvel continuity. You're exactly right. Like sh- looking around 50 or 60 years of continuity gets to be like a stone around your neck. And uh, I think Sony utterly failed with, you know, just telling five origin stories. That's like nuts. And I hope they don't do it again because they're going to make more because it's when those rights are like use it or lose it. They must keep making those awful movies. I mean, I won't say they're awful, but you know what I'm saying? You're <laughs> no, there there have been better, yeah. you know, superhero movies certainly in the last uh, last few years. But you're you're also right when you say that, you know, we look at the we look at this changing world we live in, and it's so amazing. I mean, as I said, we've we've uh, as I was telling Kimson, we've done uh, podcasts and radio broadcasts in the strangest places, like in Karachi, Pakistan where we got to spin records for a couple hours and talk to the whole city of Karachi, Pakistan, and we were talking to an audience of millions. Wow. And we were playing them Prince records and, and uh, Aretha Franklin and Santana and um, talking about a uh, city as big and, and uh, explosive as uh, Karachi. Uh, you know, uh, just, just this past week, you know, in Mumbai, they banned the sale of beef, which might be a good move anyway in terms of conservation and everything in the environment. But the fact is that a minority, uh, an extreme Hindu minority party, even though it's a majority Hindu city, um, um, uh, this minority party has sort of seized control of the government of Mumbai, and they've banned beef for all Mumbai cars, even though uh, 30, 40 percent of them eat beef. They're not Hindus. They're Muslims. They're, uh, you know, uh, Persians. They're, you know, Mumbai is a big cosmopolitan city. So what you're, you see this kind of stuff in the news. And it does, it, it leads us to want to make stories about it, uh, about a big explosive city like that. And to us, our, some of our lead characters are superheroes in a way. We hope to make them very human. And, you know, it's uh, funny because you talk about yeah. superheroes, and I was just thinking about superheroes and, and uh, what you were saying about, you know, being weighed down and, and the type of um, 21st uh, cities that are, are now on display or now getting, um, pulling to the fore. And, I mean, I believe that your generation, this new generation, um, they understand that I think that superheroes are fun and they're great and they're really, I think, wonderful to make movies with superheroes that we love and that we've grown up with. 
But I don't believe that they play so well for this new generation. I think this new generation understands that it's a complex world, and one lone white hero in latex cannot restore Gotham. I mean, Bloomberg tried. De Blasio, <laughs> you know? It, it, right, you know it's, yeah, it's complex. And if you're talking about people who have been routinely and over, historically oppressed, then we know that that's a, a, a fantasy. So we go see those movies in part of our fantasy. But we don't – you, you talk about investing. That's a great word to use, investing in it. It's hard to invest in that in a real way because you know it cannot happen. The, the, the problems are too complex, and most of the problems were created by the so-called uh, person, skin color, the whole dynamic, the racism that, you know, that kind of supports those superheroes. It's, it's, and those, that world is dying. It's gone. It should go. Not in a bad way. It's dying because the world is getting smaller, and people are understanding that there's there's um there's a larger um um much more difficult conversation and discussion to have, and that's why we put Concrete Park on another planet. When we first started talking about this, one of the things we talked about first is well, we want to do this or that, but we just knew that if we pitched it to people, they'd say, well, yeah, but they wouldn't really do that, would they? Because the cliched uh, um, point of view that they have for black and brown people was locked. So we said, well, if we take it to another planet, they can't tell us what to do. We can make our own rules. And then that was that. And once we realized that, we could take them somewhere else, but we knew that we have to recreate sort of some of the structure of that planet a little bit, at least at the beginning, had to look like the now we had now, the now that we're living in. And that was frustrating for us too, because we thought, well, we don't want this to look like gangs, and why are we starting there? I said, don't worry. That's where we begin. That's where, it's not where we live. It's not where we're going. It's sort of a jump-off point, so everybody kind of understands the, the ground rules. But then things will start to get weirder and, and weirder, and that's how we're going to do it. And, and speaking of a smaller world, um, I remember when uh, we did the interview at Comic-Con, I spoke on this, and after reading Volume 2, I have to bring this up again. The glossary in the back is incredible, oh. and I love the the use of different uh, slang terms and pigeon terms and amalgamations of different uh, words. Uh, the Jamaican half of me was really excited <laughs> to see and uh, do you guys find yourselves using scarcity slang at home or off the clock? Like, you go to Whole Foods and say, oh, this is way too oh. much potty. And I call Tony a bumbleclod every other day. And I, you know. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Isn't that cold-blooded? It's cold-blooded, oh, no. but it's real. It's cold-blooded. Oh, my God. You know. <laughs> Thank you for that. I mean, that makes Tony feel good. I'll let Tony say something about that because he works really hard on that glossary. But I think also what you're seeing is our experience and our age. We've traveled a lot in life. We are really um, impressed with a lot of the um, the cultures that we've seen, and that and we love our sense of humor takes us into that to sort of use those that type of slang and try to insert it. But go ahead, Tom. You know, you know how um, in New York, I grew up in Queens, where you ride the number seven train, and you hear every language on earth being spoken. And wait, you're a Mets fan? Uh, well, you know, no, you know what the funny thing is? I gotta say no. Ouch, ouch, no. You know, I'm I'm a Yankees fan through and through because I went to high school in the Bronx. And it's, I went to Bronx Science, and instead of uh, 
spending any time oh, in class. We, okay. we used to spend a lot of time playing hooky, hanging out at Yankee Stadium, trying to get in and trying to sit in the cheap seats and the bleachers. But uh, so I'm a Yankee sorry, fan. Sorry, sorry. I, 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 I had to No, no, no. But I, I grew up, I could walk to Shea Stadium. That's, what, that's exactly where I'm from. And, uh, but on that seven train, you'll hear Chinese. You'll hear the Chinese guys calling each other uh, by American slang or Spanish slang. You, you, you never heard the word bendejo so many times coming out of Asian mouths as on the seven train. I, I find that process fascinating, how America isn't really a melting pot so much as, um, as like the way Jesse Jackson used to say or David Dinkins used to say, it's a gumbo pot where the ingredients still have some of their own integrity. They're all stirred together. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, looking at scarcity with, with poor people from all over the world, they're going to be speaking each other's languages, each other's pigeons, and some of those words are going to get passed around. I love particularly uh, the South African miners' slang. You know, the, all the people you're seeing in our story in scarcity have nine tenths of them have done time in the mines, and it's a very brutal environment down there. We're going to be spending some more time in the mines as we go forward, but uh, they all speak this kind of slave miners pigeon uh that uh that came from those mines so uh i thought it just gave this world some flavor you know and and, uh, and will uh will there be a uh chain gang song <laughs> added to added to radio Higande or you know we wow. have to you know good question on it Radio Heat. Yeah, yeah, I, I see you. You know, I remember you from from the Comic Con and from, from the depths of your questions. I remember that you had really looked into this book, and I, I, we were so gratified. So uh, our hats are off to you, even for that question. But yes, Radio Gigante is, is long overdue for some more hits, and um, we have to build that out as well. This world building isn't for suckers. I'm telling you. Uh, by the way, yeah. we do have an exclusive that I can give to your listeners here on. Uh, your fan bros podcast, you know, I'm, I'm right here in front of me on my computer screen. We're building the wiki of Concrete Park. Uh, we've been very impressed by the way the fan community responded to George R. R. Martin's game of uh, Song of Ice and Fire, you know, and uh, the, the Game of Thrones fans are some of the most intense fans out there, and they want to read more about his world. We've also, the questions, you should see the questions we get and the, the mail we get. It is about our world. So we're going to make we're making this huge wiki oh of all of our gosh. characters and all of our locations and all of our you know all of our gangs and part of it will be the music. And, and by the way, we're, we're yeah the music. Go ahead, Tony. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't mean I've got a little excited. <laughs> oh. But you know, I got a, a letter the other day where this young man that I met and we were at the university and he basically was a physics major and he he mapped out He's what Erica? Where, what was that? What. Were you saying he's a what, this young guy? His major is physics. Physics. Oh. And he mapped out um, um, Concrete Park and where, excuse me, and where Oasis would be and the type of density the planet would have and what effect it would have on growth. And I'm telling you, he was serious. And he said, you know, I'm going to come back after I read volume two and then I'll add to this. And so when Tony's talking about making a wiki page, we're also talking about we're hopefully uh, building a place where people who are interested in, in, in contributing can, and they can, you know, rock out because they really are, um, there really are incredible minds out there 
and, and incredible imaginations that, I mean, they're going much more in depth and, and they can go a lot faster than we can because we have different responsibilities here to the story. But it's really impressive and very uh, flattering to hear people talk about your world and create around it like it's real. That's the cool part. Well, that's a reflection definitely of the great work you guys are doing. I mean, you know, and, and you know, not to blow smoke up, up your, you know, we'll up your skirts, it. but, you know, the, people are definitely responding to something that is good, you know? Oh, thank, um, you. thank you, thank you. Thank sure, you. sure. You know, I mean, you know, again, I mean, by the way, I, I can't say enough that that you you guys really are, I mean, this is the beginning of our journey. So anybody that came and, and asked us these questions and was interested and gave us encouragement like you all at the beginning and even now um, as we're still at the beginning of our journey is so important to us. And I, and I never in my life, and I've done, like I said, showbiz for quite a while now, felt so supported and also so grateful uh, for that support. So not only to you, and but to your fans and to the people who follow your blog, we just want to say thank you. We're glad to be here, but we also understand that um, the book won't get anywhere if it weren't for, uh, you know, um, your uh, interest and your, um, your promoting and your support of it. So thank you. Awesome, awesome. You guys have survived our interview segment. But surprise, we have a segment on our show that we call the BRAP segment. It's our rapid-fire question wow. segment. So we're going we're gonna to put you guys on the hot seat. And, uh, you know, just really you got to answer as fast as you can, although nobody does. <laughs> but, uh, what? I, I'm you not can't here, be long-winded, right? Bring you it, won't bring be long-winded. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to be answer fast. And so what we're going to do is we're going to hopefully each of you guys answer, okay. please. And and we'll see uh, we'll see if you guys really know each oh. other. Oh no! You already. No. We're, well, that's <laughs> what is this like the dating game? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Luke Cage or Black Panther? Black Panther. Uh, Black Panther. Falcon or War Machine? Falcon. Falcon. Wire or Breaking Bad? Breaking Bad. Oh, wired. The wire. Magneto or Professor X? Magneto. Professor X is a stiff. Nice. Ooh, nice, Ooh. yeah. Judge Dredd or Judge Judy? Oh, Judge, Judge Judy. Judy. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Judy for president. Judge, Judge Judy you know for each president. Other. I love that woman. <laughs> uh, Teen Titans or X-Men? X-Men. Can you, you know, Teen Titans, I'm uh, sorry. Pete, can you imagine, you know, 50 years of that book and, and those characters, so boring. Those people need to be put out of their misery. I'm sorry. That whole thing. Yeah. Well, that's what I was talking about. Things get weighted down with their own. Any Anyway, all right. Peter Parker or Miles, Miles Morales? Morales? What character death struck you the worst? What? Ooh. What? What character death in all of comics? Yeah, in anything. In comics, anything. movies, novels. Oh, well, Ned Stark. Yeah, Ned Stark. When Ned Stark dies, nice. you realize wow. it, 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 that, that's a, it, a great way to end the book. Ned Stark script, dies, yeah. and you see that they are not playing with that yeah. show, You know, with that, that series. Great death, Ned Stark. Gary Coleman or Emmanuel Gary Lewis? Gary Cooper. All the way. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, <laughs> brother. Gary Cooper. Rest in peace. Gary Coleman. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> uh, Star Wars or Star Ooh, Trek? Star Trek. Big one. Ooh, God, that's that's so hard, but I'm going to say Star Trek. I got to go with Captain Kirk. <laughs> I got to say Star Trek, too. still me hot. Nice. Whoa, I wish Tatiana was here. Wow, two trekkers, huh? Yes. Yes. More for the Trek team. That's a tough one. Uh, What's your your favorite Wesley Snipes movie? But you guys might have some special insight from your showbiz. uh, But favorite Wesley Snipes movie? Oh, gosh. Oh, oh, God, I'm going to say say New Jack City, but no. What? Oh, um. You know, I was going to say New Jack City. I I, I hate that movie. In many ways, (laughs) we have friends in that movie. And, and, you know, uh, but and it's in many ways, it's just a horrible, bad picture. And yet Wesley Snipes burns up the screen. If you if you love James Cagney, if you love Humphrey Bogart, Wesley Snipes kills it in that picture, even though I really I, I hate that picture in a way. But Wesley Snipes kills. Yeah, I'm going to stick with it. Fast zombies or slow Ooh, zombies? They're so much scarier. Fast zombies. Very scary. And if you could have any superpower, what would it be? The power to um, to uh, to overcome death. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's, That's the ultimate oh, yeah. superpower. Because if I can come back, then I can get back. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so wait, is it that you die and then you come back, or is it that you never no, die? No, I, I think it's right that they should kill me, but it's only temporary situation. I might also transform into something else when I come back, but I can overcome death. I would oh. be great. So you're wow. like a phoenix. Mm. Oh, like exactly. the phoenix, yeah. Like yes. the, you know, I always wanted to be able to wield Thor's hammer because then it would mean I was worthy. Nice. And how do you pronounce Thor's hammer? Mjolnir, of course. Wow. I think your geek card status yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, no, no, don't play. Don't, come Props. on. You've got to go a little harder. Don't, don't, you know, <laughs> come on. He's blurting out here. Indeed, indeed. Well, you guys survived the uh, BRAP segment. Thank you very much. I, I believe by based on your answers, you guys are married <laughs> and that you do know each other, so that's great. Thank you. Judge Judy. So we're not here to... Re- <laughs> yeah, we won't exactly. see you on Judge Judy. That's the thing. Exactly. And, and Judge Judy is more intense. No, please. Fred. And actually probably paid a lot more as we yes, found out last Yes, definitely weekend. paid a lot more. Anyway, thank you guys for coming on again. Uh, Concrete Park is really oh, killing it. And uh, we really appreciate you coming you. on. And, um, you know, l- let us know where we can uh, find sure you. Sure enough. Oh, if definitely. you come to New York, we'll come in inside and, you know, and, and we'll toast and uh, cheers and, and get drunk inside that little studio. That'd be oh. great. I, oh, in the spaceship. Oh, yeah, I've got one plug for you. We and, have one quick plug. Our, yeah, our next yeah, appearance please. will be at the American Library Association in San Francisco on June 26th to 29th. You know, an important part of our outreach is to libraries. We find that we're appearing in young adult sections in libraries, and the best part is people are stealing the books, which means they have to order more. Um, so which is we're, nice. we're yeah. sort of an, and we're also being under, taught in a few in libraries. too. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a win-win. Right, so steal more Concrete Park Please, books and is teach Concrete saying. Park because we should also say that universities are now teaching Concrete Park, and we're now yeah. going to create story guides for our teachers to try to help them talk about. As you as you started the conversation, Kirk Teacher, you talked about uh, injustice and these types of um, oppression and those types of things. The things that are brought up uh, when you when you see this type of um, uh, content. So we're trying to help them do study guides, and that'll be online too. To, um, and they're free. So it'll be good. Ooh, nice. 
Wow. So, sounds great. So where can we find you online or uh, Twitter? What's, what, we're, we we're, at? At, we're at Concrete Park on Twitter. We're www.concretepark.com online. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Concrete Park. Concrete Park all the way. Yes. And, Concrete and Tony Perrier and Erica Alexander, we have uh, separate things. But the truth separate is, uh, it'd be great better. to find us on Concrete Park. But I'm Erica Alexander the Great on Facebook and Erica Alexander the Great on Instagram. And E. Alex the Great on Twitter. Awesome. Oh, Thank you guys And when so you hit much. our pages, please leave your – there's, there's a sign-up list. So, so please leave your email and, yeah. and we'll keep you in touch. And that's Thank for the you. hardcore fans. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. Sure, and hopefully we'll do it again after the book three comes out. Thank you, Captain. Yes. All right. Bye-bye, you guys. Bye-bye. All right, peace. Bye.